Okay, first I'd like to uh, thank the student government for all the hard work that they did. Rabbi uh, Riel, of course, always behind the scenes leading. Uh, I'd like to thank the Mashkiach Band, uh, David and Yonatan and Bizi, and everyone that sang and everyone that participated. It's a very unusual mitzvah by Matan Torah, and it's the mitzvah of Hagbalah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Meshur Abenu Hagbel Es Hahar, that you have to make a gavol, a border around the mountain, Penyerasu Bam, so that the people shouldn't like crash the mountain. They might come at the moment of Matan Torah and start racing towards the mountain, and if that happens, Pen Yifreitz Bam Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to put them down, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to kill them. And so there's a mitzvah to set up a special um, border, special fence around Matan Taira. That's why we call it the Shleishes Yimei Hagbala. It's a very strange mitzvah because we find in Chazal that Klai Yisrael were very scared of Matan Taira. They were Makabal the Taira, Be'ema, Ve'ira, Bereses, Bezeya. They weren't exactly, it wasn't exactly a, you know, a, a tourist attraction, Matan Taira. Matan Taira was a very frightening experience, and all of a sudden you find that there's a concern that people, instead of running away from Matan Taira, they would actually run towards Matan Taira, towards the Har. And I think that the answer, the way to understand this is that there's a Mesul Sisharm at the beginning of his Sefer in Parak Aleph, and he says that the truth is that every Nishama of a Yid is attracted to the Rabbeinu Shalom like iron to a magnet. If you ever take a magnet and you uh, put it near some nails, you know, if it's a really strong magnet, it's going to like sort of vacuum up those nails immediately. The nails are just going to fly into the force field of the magnet. And every Yid's Neshama really has that same sensation when it comes to the Rabbeinu Shalom. Every Yid Bimahusa is attracted and is pulled, is tugged in his soul towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's just the reality. That's the way it is. And so by Matan Torah, when Klal Yisrael were in the presence of the Rabbeinu Shalom, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes down and says, the natural inclination is that every Yid is going to start being drawn and pulled into the force field, into the orbit of Matan Torah, of Har Sinai. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to command, don't go near the Har, even though you will naturally want to. But I'm begging you, don't set up these fences so that nothing tragic happens. I think we have certain times in our life that we feel this way, that we feel very drawn to the Rabbeinu Shalom. I think... I'm sure by Ni'ila, we have that feeling as we say Hashem Kim, we feel sometimes as if our neshama is like pulling us and is tugging us and it's like it wants to like almost pop out of our bodies. Many, maybe times, Simchas uh, possibly. Um, highlights of the year are different times that we're very inspired. But for the most part, I think we don't have that hargish. I think that we're not really... Um, 
being pulled to the Rabbeinu Shalom as much as we naturally should be. And the question is why. And the Emma says, if you look in the Mesosisharim there, he says the reason he says that it's sort of like that same magnet. If a person would take a, uh, um, a piece of wood, one of these logs maybe, and put it in front of the magnet, between the magnet and the nail, nothing would happen. Because there's a mechitza that's mafsik and mavdil. Something is separating between the magnet and, and the nail. And the Ramchal says that that's really what happens with our Yitzhahara, with our taivas, with whatever we have um, that we run after in this life, the things that we look at, the things that we listen to, the things that we go to, the things that we eat, all of the extras, those chumrias, the, the things that we don't need and yet we go after them, those are things that will separate us from the Rabbi Nishlam, that will make us not be running to shul, not be running to yeshiva, not be running to seder. You know, there's a, there was a great genius, his name was Ramatul Pagramansky, and he was a Rosh Hashiva in, uh, in Tells, and then after the war, he became Rosh Hashiva in a yeshiva in France, and he was a genius of geniuses. He was like one of these super, super iluyim. And Ramato once said uh, the following mushal. There was a, in France where he lived, there was a famous museum. Uh, it's called the Louvre. It's uh, spelled L-O-U-V-R-E, I believe. And it's, uh, if anyone's been to the Eiffel Tower, it's very close to the Eiffel Tower. It has arguably, not even arguably, it has the most famous painting in the world, uh, the Mona Lisa. And there's like security guards that are set up, you know, with guns, with rifles by the Mona Lisa, and you have to, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to see uh, the greatest paintings in the world, and a lot of them are housed in that very museum. I actually, when I went there once as a, as a bacher um, with some friends, so I, uh, I had an incident outside of the Louvre, which uh, um, there was like a Nazi couple that... Uh, saw that I was Jewish and I was with my friends. We were wearing our tzitzis out and our, uh, some of us were wearing our hats and, uh, and she basically gave a Nazi salute to us. And I was, a, I, I still am, I think, a shtickle fatalist. Like, I don't care. I have no fear uh, when it comes to certain things. And I just walked over to her and I said, what did you say? And there was like a whole crowd like uh, gathering around and... Uh, her husband was getting very uh, defensive, like, leave us alone, and, you know, what do you want from me? I said, did you hear what your wife just said? He said, uh, leave us alone, and whatever, and, like, eventually, like, she, uh, you know, they both walked away, but I, when I came back to Yeshiva, already I was like a hero, because already word had spread that I, you know, I stopped the Nazis, and I, you know, I stood up to... <laughs> anyway, but if you go into that museum, there's tremendous art hanging on the walls, and once upon a time, he said, there was a guy that comes in and everybody's like ooing and aahing at all of the, all the, the fantastic uh, pieces on the wall. And, and, and one guy keeps on being like very sarcastic, very cynical. And he says, ah, feh, buttermilk. He went to the Mona Lisa, buttermilk. And then he goes to a, you know, a, a Rembrandt, buttermilk. And wherever he goes, like everyone else is going crazy. So he keeps saying buttermilk for no apparent reason. And, the, uh, and one of the people that worked in the museum said, excuse me, sir, uh, you know, what's your issue? Like, what do you... He says, buttermilk. 
So she says, sir, can I, uh, can I borrow your glasses for a second? So he removes his glasses, he gives it to her, and she looks up to the light and she sees that there's taka buttermilk all over his glasses. So she takes out like a shmata and she, she cleans off his glasses and she says, now, now look at the art. And Ramatul used to say that that's really us. We have a Rabbeinu Shalom. We have a Taira that's magnificent. We have, we have Svarim, we have Kedusha, we have Minhagim, we have Mitzvahs. But a lot of times it's, uh, it's buttermilk. We don't see it for what it really is because we have, we have something in our glasses that doesn't allow us to see things clearly. It, it makes us cynical and we should be in awe. Instead of being in awe, we, we sort of look at it like, no, big deal, our mitzvahs and taira, all right, yeah, it's nice, but uh, I don't know. That, I don't know, that attitude comes from the fact that we have buttermilk on our glasses. We have a mechitza. And that mechitza is taivas, it's yetzahara, it's giving into gashmias. And the more that we're able to scrub away those mechitzas, the more we're able to clean off our glasses from that schmutz, the more we'll be able to have that natural gravitational pull towards HaKadosh Baruch we'll, we'll jump out of bed, like Shlomo Melech writes in Shem, just draw us, pull us, and we'll, we'll just run after you. I want to go to yeshiva, I want to learn, I want to daven, I want to be a mensch, I want to do everything right. But I'm so, I have this kryptonite called the Sahara, and it doesn't allow me to, to, to see the beauty of everything. And the Sahara is very, very strong. This Sahara that gets in the way of the magnet in us, very, very powerful. I'll tell you a mushal of what the Sahara is like that I heard recently. Once upon a time, there was a miser very cheap guy and he was already in his 30s and his 40s and he needed a shidduch and he, he lived in his store he was quite wealthy, he was doing very well in business and in his store he, um, he slept there, he didn't want to spend the extra money and get a nice apartment a nice home, so he slept in the store itself and he called the shadch and he says, I think I'm ready to get married it's shine side, I have to get married already what should I do, what am I doing wrong, she said well, the first thing is that no girl is going to want to marry you if you're living in your store. You have to have a nice home for her. You have to bring her into a, a place with a living room and a dining room and a kitchen and let her feel like a mensch. So I suggest that you go. It's worth the money. Just go and buy a house. And once you have a house, then you're going to start being attractive to, to women. So he says, okay. And he goes to a, a certain person who had a very nice house in the neighborhood, and that was the house that he set his eyes on. That's the house that he wanted. And so he went over to this person. He rang the doorbell. The guy opens the door. Let's call him Chaim. And Chaim says, yes, what can I do for you? So the miser says to Chaim, he says, listen, Chaim, I want to buy, buy your house. I want to make you an offer on your house. He says, he says, it's not for sale. My house is not for sale. Baruch Hashem, very happy here not moving, not for sale, go look somewhere else. He says, no. He says, I'm a businessman. I know there is nothing that doesn't have a price tag. Everything, just, we just have to negotiate. We'll get to the right price, but we'll figure it out. But I want to buy this house. He says, well, you can keep on asking me. I'm not selling the house. The house is simply not for sale. 
He said, okay, see, I'm not going to get you to budge. The next day he comes back, he rings the doorbell. Hi, Chaim, how are you? I'm not selling my house. He says, I don't want to buy your house. I understand you made it clear. He says, I want to make you an offer, though, not to buy the house. He says, all I want to do is I want to rent an inch of your back wall. The back wall of your house, I want to rent one inch of it. He says, why would you want it? He says, don't worry about it. That's what I want to do. I want to rent an inch of it. He says, all right. He says, how much are you willing to pay? He says, I'll give you a thousand rubles for that inch. A thousand rubles, that's a lot of money. He says, okay, you have yourself a deal. Immediately the miser pulls out a legal contract and Chaim signs it, he gives them a thousand rubles, and they have a deal, they shake on it, and everyone is happy. The next morning, all of a sudden, Chaim wakes up and he hears banging. Bang, 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 bang. He doesn't know what, who woke him up. It's like six o'clock in the morning, what's going on over here? Goes out of his house. They didn't have cameras in those days. And uh, he sees that the miser is standing there and uh, he says, what are you doing? It's 6.30 in the morning. He says, what are you banging into my house for? He says, I'm banging a nail into the house. He says, but why are you banging a nail into my house? He says, no, 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 you're making a mistake. He says, I'm banging it into the inch of my house. I have a contract here. You signed it, fair and square, a thousand rubles. We shook on it. That's my inch. I'm banging in a nail on the inch of my house. says, all right, Chaim says, you're right, I, I can't argue. I wish you would have done it a little bit later in the morning. I don't know why I had to wake up for this, but okay, I respect it. That's your nail. I hope you're happy. Enjoy it. The next day, the miser comes back to this house, and on the nail, he hangs a bag. There was like a, plastic, a heavy plastic bag with something in it. He hangs it on the nail, and this nail is right underneath Chaim's window bedroom window and the whole night Chaim is like the windows are open and Chaim is smelling something horrid it's like a disgusting smell coming from that bag and he doesn't know what it is and uh, the next day you know the miser is walking down the road and Chaim says hey excuse me what did you put on that what was what, why is there a bag hanging on my house he says, oh, I, I'm sorry I forgot to tell you he says my dog died yesterday and, uh, and I didn't have a place to, to bury it. I, I can't bury it in my store. The only real estate that I really own besides for my store is this nail on, on the house. And, you know, and I own the nail. I own the right to use the nail. So I figured I'd hang my dead dog in the bag on top of the, on top of the, on the nail. <coughs> so he says, well, I can't sleep at night. So I'm sorry. That's, uh, you know, eventually I guess it'll go away. But, you know, and uh, that's, where it's, that's where it's staying. So he says, and the next night he's, he's up again the whole night, he can't breathe, he's like nauseous. And the day after, finally, like the miser passes by the house one day, and he says, listen, I, I, I don't know what to do, I'm going crazy, I can't live here. He says, I have a good idea, if you want, I'll buy your house from you. And he ended up selling him his house for pennies on the dollar. This is a mushal of the Eight Sahara. This is what the Yitzhara does. The Yitzhara doesn't come and say, I want to completely own you entirely because we're not going to listen. We're not stupid. What the Yitzhara does is he comes and he wants an inch. He just wants a little, just do something very little for him. All right, I could do a little thing. It's not going to kill me. I'll start with that. But once you give him an inch, 
And once you give him a, a finger, he wants a hand, and then he wants an arm, and then he wants your entire body. That's the way the Eight Sahara operates. That's the way he is. I, I've seen that so many times in my own in my own life and other people's lives. You know, he tells you that it's okay to do a little Avera, and then once you do that little Avera, then you get swept into a bigger Avera, and then a bigger Avera, and then a much bigger Avera. He tells you that it's, uh, you know, you should just get a... I remember for many years I was holding off not getting a, a phone altogether, and not even a flip phone. I was mamish making gazeras and hagbalas and whatever, and and then you know, and then you, know, you need eventually you need a you need a phone because everybody has a phone. So you know you have to be in touch with people. Okay, so you get a flip phone. I got one flip phone for the whole house, and we shared it and whatever. And then you know, then you need two flip phones. You need two flip phones, and then eventually, you know, you need, flip phones not enough. You need uh, you need access to your email because it's very important to have email. WhatsApp, everybody's WhatsApping. You need to, and you need uh, you know, you need internet. You need this, and you need that. And so it starts off, you know, he gives you give him an inch, and then he bangs his nail into that inch. Then he hangs his dead dog on that inch, and before you know it, you have to give over your gantzineshama, your amachevarim to him, and that's the way. That's the power of the eight sahara, and it's very important very, very important at a young age already to fight back. Even, even incrementally, you can't fight totally because, but just like he takes a little at a time, if we could push back a little at a time and make small kabbalas and, and try to like capture that conquered territory, that gives HaKadosh Baruch Hu tremendous nachas ruach. That gives us the ability to remove some of those things that are mafsik and mabdil between us and the Rabbi Nishlam. That magnetic field that we want, that our neshamas are dying for. You know, like we're looking at a fire. You know, everybody's eyes are glued on fire. Like, it, it just, that's the reality. Because in fire, you see a little bit of the Rabbi Nishlam, Kaviyachal. You see that it's not a normal thing. Fire is something that, it's not a tree, it's not a chair, it's not a rock, it's not, a, it's not leather, it's not rubber, it's something spiritual. There's nothing else in the Bria like fire. This is something like straight from Shemayim. Shemayim, in fact, is made of fire. Ashen Mayim is Shemayim. And the eyes are attracted to it because we're attracted to the Rabbi Nisham. We're attracted to Ruchnis. Our Nishama is like, like a moth to a flame, as it were. And the more that we're able to get rid of those separations, we would feel the, mag- the magnetic field. Sadikim Gedayim are not different than us. They have the same glasses as us, and they have the same tire as us. They have the same rabbinishlam as us. The difference between us and them is that we have that buttermilk on our glasses. And by rubbing them off, by cleaning them off, by polishing them a little bit, we could see clearer. We're going to be able to get that attraction to the rabbinishlam back again. You know, a year ago today... It was a terrible, terrible tragedy that we all remember, we don't need to be reminded of, in Meiron. 45 Kedashim Tahirim died in a terrible way, uh, an indescribable way. And each and every one of these Yechidim were tremendous people. Like, you could read bios about each of them, and some of you, I think, you know, may have known um, Dani Morris, Zechit Tzadik Levracha, and... Uh, and there, there were Talmidim from the Mir, there were Chassidish Bachram, there were singers, there was pretty much a representative of every single sect of Klal Yisrael died that day on that holy uh, mountain of Meron. 
and it's it's an impossible thing to talk about, and I'm not the one to, to be masked with any of them. But one thing that I think we can all at least take from them is that for them, each and every one of them had to make a trip to Meron to be on that mountain on that night. Now, I don't know about you. I know a lot of you probably would go to Meron, did go to Meron, and you enjoy going to these types of places. Personally, I'm a yekka. I don't... If something, if there's too many crowds and if there's, uh, you know, too many buses, too much traffic and, and a balagan, it's not for me. Is there Kedusha on Meron? Of course there's Kedusha. But I make Tyra, I make excuses, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not for me. My kids want to go certain places. And I, I say, no, it's safer, just stay away, you know, learn in the base matters, don't. Now, what's really the difference between somebody like myself and somebody like those 45 Kedoshim. They had that, that attraction. There was something special. There was something holy taking place on Lagba Eimer and Meron. And they made it their business to be there because they couldn't not be there. They were drawn to it like a magnet because they felt Kedusha. They were sensitive and sens- sensitized to Kedusha. And that attracted them. That drew them. And that's the, the tzadashava of all these 45, without getting into how great each and every one of them were, and they were, but just, we don't even have to go that far. Just admire them for their ability to go and make that trip, make that alil regal to Meron, despite all of the difficulties and the cost and the, and the traffic and the, the crowds and, the, and all the other things that, that, that you have to do to get there. And I know 100,000 people also, they're also Kadeshim that got there last year. But that to me is so admirable because it shows that they, there was a, a purity to them, that they, they didn't have that buttermilk on their glasses, that they had a clear vision of what they needed to do and where they wanted to go, and they were drawn to the Rabbi Shlam on that night, to that place, to that holy place. Sometimes, you know, there are places to go, and we don't go. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we not going because we're really busy, or is it because we don't feel like we're being pulled to go? You know, David HaMelech says in Tillim, and Chazal explain what he means, that sometimes I would be going somewhere else. I'd be going to a meeting with cabinet ministers or uh, to discuss uh, war or whatever David HaMelech was on his way to. My feet would just carry me to the base medrash. I was like, again, I was magnetically drawn to the base medrash. I just wanted to be there and I found myself there. I had a, I had a one o'clock meeting at the dentist. All of a sudden I look at my watch, it's one o'clock and I'm learning a ktsais in the base medrash somewhere. My feet carried me to the base medrash. You know why? Because David HaMelech had that Kedusha, he had that Tara, and he was naturally pulled and tugged to the base medrash. That Kedusha drew him. He didn't have that Yetzirah that was constantly getting in the way of the magnet. Sometimes we have things that we should be going to, and the best way to see if our Yetzirah is very powerful against us, too strong, or if we have our Yetzirah under control to a certain degree, is are we going to those places? I'll give you a very big example, then I'll give you some smaller examples. A very big example is the Maimon Har Sinai of our day and age, and that's every seven and a half years, 
there's a CMHS that takes place in America in uh, MetLife Stadium. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know that many people, even if you're not doing Daf Yemi, you went. Why'd you go? Because how can I not go? There's 100,000 people joined for a Simcha Satira. I want to be there. It's historic, and I need to be there. That's a place that I need to be. And then there are people that say, no, I didn't do the daf, and, you know, I'm busy. I have to study for, for midterms. I have to study for finals. I have, you know, I have other engagements. I, and I understand that. I, I just said that about myself with Mehron. But if we were really, if our neshamas were really on fire, and they were pure and they were clean, and there was no schmutz on them, then we would probably be drawn to that maimed. Because how could I not be there? It's Maimon Arsinai. There's an attraction. There's a Hagbel Asa'am. I naturally want to be at places that have Kedusha. I'd want to go to Shul every day. Three times a day I'd want to go to Minyan. We're going into the summer. We have to be very medactic to try as best as we can to be at Minyan three times a day. And not because it's a chore, and not because it's an obligation, not because it's a mitzvah or a chiyav. It's because I'm drawn there. There are people that... They're not even so yeshivish. They're not even so from. I have, I have relatives. They don't even, they, they probably never learned the word of Gemara in their life. But they come to Minyan every single morning. They're the first ones there because they just love being in shul. There's something about shul that attracts them. It draws them. We should be learning Tyrone of Medrash in the summer. We should be drawn to a bit, not because I feel guilty if I don't. I, I should want to learn Tyrone. I should need to learn Tyrone. I should be drawn to that. To come to here tonight, Baruch Hashem, we have a beautiful island here tonight, but I'm sure as many people as are here are, are not here. What are they, I know it's final times. I'm not, I'm not being judging anyone, but there should be a natural netiyah to come because it's, it's a yeshiva thing. We're doing this together. This is our yeshiva. We should be coming to Shir every day. We should be coming to, to the Vadin at night. We should be coming to the Shmuz on Friday. We should be coming for Shabbos. We should be coming for Shavuos. Why? Not because, you know, people are twisting your arm. Because this is where I want my... Raglis, my lichis, I see. I have to be here. There's no choice. This is where I live. This is where I, I breathe. This is where... This is my, this is my dearest kivah. Yeah, I might be going home in the summer, I might be doing this, I might be doing that, but as soon as Elul starts, as soon as Azman starts, I'm, I'm back here, I'm, I'm like flying here, I, I'm excited to be here. This is my home, this is my yeshiva, this is my neshama. And if we're not feeling all these things, if we're not inclined to always be so on fire with our, with our Avedis Hashem, it might be a little bit of a, of a litmus test, of a sign that maybe we have too much buttermilk on our glasses. Maybe we have to work on that. And in the summer, summer is a, it's, it's a difficult time. The Yitzhahara loves the summer. The Yitzhahara, this is the Yitzhahara's time to shine, literally. And, uh, you know, there's no yeshiva, there's no miskaret, there's no, uh, there's no mashkiach, there's no rabbi, there's no reshiva, there's no uh, menal. It's uh, pretty much a free-for-all, and I do what I want on my own terms, on my time. And it can't be that way. 
it can't be that way. If we want to get through the summer, we have to make a kfiyas, we have to find ways to make sure that we come to the things that we need to come to because we want to. And even if we don't want to at first, we're going to eventually love it because we know that our neshamas love this. It's just that we don't allow our neshamas free reign as that we should be giving them. But this is the side, Mashcheni Acharecha Narutza. We ask HaKadosh Baruch, we dive into the Rabbi Nisham, draw me, pull me, Acharecha Narutza, and I'm going to run after you, but just give me the Siat Dishmaya to be able to keep my Yitzhahara at bay, to tell the Yitzhahara, I'm the Balabas, this is my house, take your nail and your dog and your bag and all of your proposals away from me, this is my house, and you're not entitled to a Kihuz, I'm not giving you an inch. And when we could fight back, then suddenly we'll have that hergish, that pneumistika hergish of Ava and Chiba to the Rabbeinu Shalom and to Taira and to Mitzvah, and we'll be drawn to him, we'll run after him. Raglis, Mailichis, I see, we'll find that our legs, we might want to go other places, we might need to go other places, but we'll suddenly find ourselves constantly in an Avirav Kedusha in places that the Rabbeinu Shalom is found.